Welcome to Sisters Inc., our podcast for and about women business owners, brought to you by Black Enterprise. I'm your host, Elisa Gumbs. Black women are the fastest growing group of entrepreneurs in America. And on every episode of Sisters Inc., we'll sit down with one successful CEO and share how she slays the challenges of being a Black woman in business. Today's episode is all about supporting the creator economy. We're chatting with Kessie Gibson, the founder of Club Debut, which provides infrastructure, manufacturing, and technology support to help creative professionals, such as designers, artists, and content creators, start and run successful businesses. Welcome to Sisters Inc., Kessie, and thanks so much for sitting down with us. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it, Alisa. Can you share a little bit with us about your background? You're originally from Jamaica and mm-hmm. your family back home has a business. So you had an early education in entrepreneurship, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, you know, the I'll start with Club Debut. So Club Debut really was born out of the sense to really contribute to the creator economy. My mom was a fashion entrepreneur, so I grew up in that industry. I, however, chose the path of investment banking, private equity uh, for my formal career. And then at some point I realized that I didn't have to choose between one or the other. I could actually merge the two. And so with that, I decided to create this opportunity, not just for myself, but for all the other creatives that I had come up uh, in touch with uh, along my path to give them this opportunity to create something bigger than themselves, to really be able to make careers out of their talents. And so that's kind of how Club Debut started and kind of what I'm, you know, hoping to drive home in the end. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to get back to Club Debut, but I always love to start with like people's journey. So how they got to be, you know, where they are. Um, What did you sort of absorb about entrepreneurship, you know, having grown up with a family business? So, you know, with my mom, for example, she's, she didn't have formal training in business, right? And I, I saw her journey, how much she was so dedicated to using her passion to create purpose from that. And, you know, one of the things that I noticed, because I traveled with her uh, since I was nine years old, I've been like working with her and traveling with her around the world. She sourced a lot of raw materials globally. And so I was able to have some of those wonderful experiences. And one of the things that I really was very impressed by, I'm not sure I realized how impressed I was with that initially until like when I was much older, the way people reacted and responded to her. And I realized that, you know, I I talked to her about it. I'm like, you know, you're in these countries where you don't even speak the language and people just respond to you like that. It's just like, I don't understand how that happens. And it's really, you know, because in everything she does, she really tries to make an impact and really tries to really put people first. And so because of that kind of way of doing business or way of life, it just you know, made her who she is and made her her business, you know, what it became. And so that's one of the things that I think just really stayed with me and really informed a lot of the choices I've made on my own journey to becoming a professional. So I think that would be one of the core things I would highlight. That's so amazing. I love it when moms are not just like life role models, but business role models. Like, yeah. you know, Black women don't get enough credit for that. Uh, you mentioned true. that she didn't have a formal business education, but you, of course, do. You have a degree in economics. You have an MBA from Wharton. And as you said, you had a career in investment banking and private equity. Uh, what did those experiences teach you about what small businesses need? 
So there's a technical infrastructure that I think that you can have all the talent you have and it will take you very far. But there comes a point where that technical base of information is so necessary. And that's what that's what I believe separates a lot of the people who are extremely talented without necessarily support from the ones who are talented with support and not just any kind of support because financial support is one thing, but having the technical resources and the technical understanding of kind of the foundations of whatever drives your business and how to analyze and interpret data, uh, you know, to then inform what you do next. You're, you may have success, but a lot of people may not know where the success came from to be able to analyze the information and figure out, okay, these were the drivers. These, this is the reason why I was successful. I think that is really, really important because it allows for that repeatability. I think a lot of entrepreneurs I've, you know, come across, especially in the creative field, they're able to do something and do it really good once. And then that's it. And then you're like, well, why can't we just do it again and go back for next season? And but it's because they don't understand like what was driving the success to begin with. And so it's really hard to repeat something that you don't understand in the beginning. And so I think that the formal, the edu the formal education is not necessarily something that's a prerequisite, but if you're not going to have that education, it's really important to be aware of the things that are lacking and the technical infrastructure that's required for your business to actually be as successful as it can be. And you're also a longtime entrepreneur yourself. You've launched several of your own businesses across different industries. Tell us about some of your entrepreneurial ventures before Club Debut. Yeah. So I um, had a fashion company, um, right? You know, that was one of my first kind of forays into entrepreneurship, doing it, um, you know, for the purpose purpose of actually making it a longstanding career. And the 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 foundation of that was really be, uh, really focusing on artisans because my mom had retired by this and I really wanted to I stayed in touch with some people in the supply chain and then there's a lot of just opportunities because things were being shuffled and I really wanted to see kind of how I could carry on kind of what she had started and so I really focused that you know opportunity to serve and to use to utilize uh, artisans around the world and create something from that to create a brand. And so I did that very successful uh, in 2000. But in 2015, I got a deal uh, to basically get into a major retailer, which is a pinnacle of success for a lot of fashion designers and brands. But for me, it was not really such a great deal. And as a financial person, I just realized that that would just not be a very fruitful endeavor, not a good way to use my time for the next couple of years, because there was just not there was too much risk uh, and not a lot of hedge that I could control and then not a lot of opportunity. It would be great. Yeah, I could say, yeah, I'm in the store and my name and my brand will be everywhere and all the models will have everything. It would be wonderful. But from a business perspective, perspective, it wasn't practical at all. So I decided that, well, if this was the pinnacle of success in the fashion industry to get your brand in one of these like really major retailers, and I was able to secure that deal, then not be able to execute it, then what is what is the next step? Where do I go from here? And that's when I realized that, you know, at the end of the day, when I came into the fashion entrepreneurship space, it wasn't really so much about my designs. I've been designing a long time. I've done a lot of stuff with my name, not on in it anywhere. Like I've been in the background of this for, for quite some time. 
but the real reason that I, I, I started Q, which is the name of the brand, um, was literally just to be able to incorporate the talents and skills of, of some artisans that I wanted to work with. And so if that was the case, I decided, well, there's an, a way that I could still do what I'm doing if it's for the impact, which was really the mission behind it, then I can do that in other ways. And so I went on to design for other people, you know, create other brands without my name on it and did other kind of things in, in, in the background. I did a lot of writing. I created other businesses with other entrepreneurs. I invested in other businesses that are related to impact. And then at some point I came back around to I really need to do something where I can centralize the intelligence that I've gathered from all my experiences, not just for fashion designers, but for creators. And that's how Club Debut was born. So speaking of Club Debut, you describe it as a global platform with a local impact. Entrepreneurs mm -hmm. can have either a physical or a virtual membership and they get access to brick and mortar resources like workspaces and content studios but also to support services like supply mm -hmm. chain logistics and event production, and maybe most importantly to tech support like mm -hmm. e-commerce services and app development. Um, why did you choose to structure Club Debut in this way? You know, that's a great question. I'm actually happy you asked that question because that's what's really missed when people talk about Club Debut is the infrastructure part of it. You know, we could have just been a co-work space. We're not just that. We could have just been a content studio where people just come and create content. We're not just that. We could have been just a space where you can rent and book your events and, you know, come and gather. We're not just that. The reason why we put it all together in one 360 ecosystem is especially because we understand that for most creative entrepreneurs, even if you have or you haven't even thought of yet the next step for where you're going, we understand how to future proof a economic foundation for an entrepreneur. And without all of the different resources, i.e. the tech, marketing, supply chain, logistics, manufacturing, uh, you know, the space we're creating, the space of collaboration, all the content studios with all the equipment that we have here. So you just walk in and you're just ready to go. You know, we just really wanted to make this platform a very um, rounded platform. So you just come in and you can have all the parts of everything that you need. If you need business consultation, we offer a lot of consultation services as well, where we're not the experts, we connect you to other experts that we've worked with, uh, that we can essentially vouch for. And so it's really an opportunity for the creator to come in and be connected to this really well thought out ecosystem that really um, focuses on the technical infrastructure that they need to not just make a collection or, you know, put out a, a number of art pieces or have an event company and have that be like what it is, but to just make sure the longevity of success is there. Yeah. You started the company three and a half years ago now. Can you share one of uh, your success stories of how a brand has used Club Debut to grow? Mm. Yeah, so um, which one should I use first? Um, let's use uh, paper. I'm going to go with uh, St. Ernie. So St. Ernie is one of our brands that we've been working with. I actually met uh, Pape, the founder of St. Ernie, on Instagram uh, a while ago. And 
it was weird because the conversation initially was just around, hey, you know, I've tried to do this. I, you know, was trying to do it for a long time. And, you know, I really want to figure out how to actually take it to market and make it something that I can actually make a life from. And so that's where that started. And, you know, we later, uh, you know, developed a whole collection. We recently launched. She's a pretty fairly new brand, but it's been very well received by the market. So I think she has really good potential in terms of just where the product is going to go. And St. Ernie, just so you understand, it's a propulsory brand. So it's a, a, a pulsary for our dogs. So think about doggy beddings and all the, uh, you know, the the, the things that dogs need in a house. So if you don't want to have like, let's say just an ugly pillow over there or whatever, it's a way to like really incorporate decor into your home and really cater for other dogs. They also have a lifestyle component where it, it's like the mommy and me, but it's like doggy and me. And so that's really cute. And I, I just think it has a lot of um, legs. And so we've already made a number of steps on that, just in terms of how fast we went from ideation to sourcing, because her materials were very com uh, complicated. So we sourced from all over the world. We got the supply chain done real quick um, and were able to go to market so fast. And I think, you know, right now we're on just this very, very fast paced move to success. There's another brand I could talk about. Um, which is uh, Support Black Colleges. It's a brand that came to us uh, a year and a half ago. Uh, they've had just a number of um, setbacks in terms of just entrepreneurial, you know, just as you're going along. And so, you know, what we're working with them right now to do is to stabilize the foundation. They already um, have the experience of being in a couple of different uh, retail outlets. And so we're just essentially growing the presence there really uh reformulating some of the foundational aspects of it so that it can actually um you know have more of a, a longevity and, and and growth prospect in the direction that we wanted to go and then on the impact side because it's such a very um impact oriented brand it's literally called support by colleges and so um, from that perspective um you know really using that to uh, using club debut as a platform to fuel uh, the the entrepreneurial desires of uh, the founder, uh, Corey Arbinger. And so uh, that is one. I, I could talk about a couple of others, but most of the brands that we work with, it's usually some, they come to us either as ideas or some already launched someplace in the journey. And what we do is really take it, try to fix the problems, the real foundational problems so that they can be on a path to economical success. Yeah, and in, in very like tangible ways. So they may exactly. come to you with just an idea, but you help them build prototypes and do sample runs and figure mm -hmm. out their like warehousing, their shipping, and you know all of these things that um, you know. I like to think of that as like the leap. A lot of people have ideas as mm -hmm. an entrepreneur, but they don't know how to get that idea into an actual product or that actual product into a store. And that's where you come in, right? Exactly. You've nailed it. You said it better than I could. <laughs> <laughs> so our conversation today is all about supporting the creator economy, but let's step back for people who may not be familiar and define it. What exactly is the creator economy and why are you so invested in it? Yeah, so if you think of, uh, the, it's literal, what creators mean, it's people who are creating content, music, fashion, it's the writers, filmmakers, event producers, anyone who participate in that like media and entertainment space or the space where you're actually creating something for consumption. 
you know, that essentially is the breadth of the creator economy. And the reason I'm so focused on it, like I said, you know, I got like my mom for me was a big, 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 big motivation for a lot of the things that I've done in my life uh, in terms of the example that she has set and the things that I've learned and come to value because of my experience growing up with her. And, you know, even though my path is a very uh, varied path because I've kind of done a number of different things, uh, you know, it all led me back to wanting to really create an opportunity to, I wouldn't even say disrupt because I don't like that word, but create a different a different way for creators to experience their, their lives. Um, and so, you know, with COVID, I think that created a, it opened up the, the opportunity for society to place more value on the value of creators um, because everybody was stuck at home and everybody was really leaning towards media and entertainment to create some sort of, you know, way to escape the monotony of the day-to-day that lasted months and then months and then months later. And so it's, um, it's, it's one of those things where even though it was such a bad time for everybody, it, it created an opportunity for creators to really stand on a, on a platform um, and to be recognized as value uh, contributors to not just society and hobby and, and, and entertainment, but also just for um, economic viability as well. So NFTs were born, well, it wasn't born in, in that, but it became popular. You know, it became commonplace. Everybody talking about NFTs. I mean, that came out of uh, the the COVID um, pandemic times, right? And so, you know, people got the more appreciation for the value of art when you had all of these really big um, pieces that were being sold for hundreds of thousands and millions of dollars. A lot of creators became millionaires during that time. It was the first time they experienced wealth. And so now how do you take that and sustain it uh, now that there is this recognition that creator, you can actually make a, a living from the creator economy. And so that's why I'm so focused on it is to create that opportunity for uh, wealth building, for um, intergenerational wealth, but through the everyday experiences of creative entrepreneurs. Um, because in the, especially in the black and brown communities, we know that you know, media, and enter- media, sports, and entertainment was what, you know, was the first, like, three things, if you ask anybody, like, oh, one of those things is going to be kind of where the wealth comes from. But now it's like, we can open it up and, you know, move it beyond that. And so you don't even have to be a fashion designer to make money as a fashion entrepreneur. Those things are too different. You don't need to be a designer to profit from the ideas that you may be able to create and then turn those into ideas that people can use to physically express with their clothing. And so it's really just creating those opportunities so that you don't have to be an artist where you're an artist at night, but using all your quality time during the daytime to do some other job. And especially when it's not really well paid, where you can invest in your talents instead or in parallel, but invest in it in a very specific way to be able to achieve that economic sustainability at some point. You mentioned NFTs. One of the things that you're focused on is how creators can leverage changes in the digital landscape to take Mm -hmm. more financial control of their work. Um, You're a huge proponent of creators using digital currencies and Web3. Um, Tell us why those are game changers for entrepreneurs. Yes. Um, So... I just want to make sure just to 
make sure that we're all having the same conversation. So if you, I'm going to just define a couple of things and yes, then go please. into it. So if you think about, um, you know, Web3, before Web3, there was Web2, and before that was Web1, right? And so if you think about just the initial web, it was really a place for consumption of information. So you'll go on and you'll go and find something and you'll figure out, oh, where was, you know, what happened in Venus and where was Mars? And you find the information, you read it, but that's all you did with the internet at that time, right? There was a second wave of the internet where it was just more about um, user-generated content. So it was a place where you're no longer just going for information, but you're also contributing to the internet. So anybody could create something on the internet. You can create a blog, you can create a website. You can actually like upload your content on Facebook or Instagram or any of those platforms, right? So that um, Web 2 part is where we are right now predominantly, and we're just in the beginning of Web 3, which is basically, I want to call it the internet of value, where you are essentially able to, instead of just depending on the platforms to put your information, you can decide to create your own kind of internet of the internet and then decide how you manage that. So instead of just, for example, giving your content to Facebook, you take, spend so much time, you know, curating information and content and how you want to express yourselves. And then you just upload it to a platform who then decides, okay, well, today I'm going to show your content to 20 of your friends and then tomorrow I'm going to change the algorithm. And so you have five people. And if you want to have 20 people see it, you have to pay whatever in promotions or whatever. So they change it all the time. With Web3, you get control of that because the community is now yours. You're building a community. You're using um, NFTs or some sort of token infrastructure to determine, to control the incentives, the interaction, the partnerships, the, you know, whatever you want to do to define that community and define how that community is governed, you can essentially create all of that uh, be because of the enabling uh, features and characteristics of Web3. And so that's, uh, you know, the, the power to really harness the community is what I believe is the real game changer with, with Web3, because now instead of depending on other platforms to feed information in the way they want to your community that you have worked so hard to essentially nurture. Now you can actually do that, but you can decide how to engage and manage with, with that. You control that community in the way you choose to. And there's an inter-exchange of this is how we want the community to essentially exist in terms of governance. And I think that's the real, real moneymaker for, for entrepreneurs. Wow. Well, speaking of money makers, your mission is to accelerate the economic trajectory. So for mm -hmm. you, this is not just about like, you know, helping people build businesses. But as you mentioned, it's really about creating wealth and especially creating wealth in our communities. So mm -hmm. you are um, trying to do that with one billion creatives within this decade. How do you plan to do that? So, I mean, I know it sounds very, very like the number sounds big. Um, but it's actually very achievable um, because I've done it before with uh, NGOs. So, you know, in my former life, I worked with an NGO that had the same mission, but instead of it being just for creatives, it was more for youth entrepreneurs who are going to create opportunities that's going to reach a million people that's going to change the world. And so, you know, the way to do that, it's simple. You know, the reason we create really connected ecosystems so you see, at the end of the day, I get you come on board as one person, right? I'm impacting you as, let's say, a fashion designer. But then I'm working with you to work with an artist. And so now 
there's an artist that gets impacted. And then I'm working with you with a team of, let's say, uh, photographers, lighting experts, sound engineers, whatever. And then that's another whole team of people. And then I'm working with you to create an opportunity in some other country across the world. And then that's a whole nother place where you're impacting just you alone, you know, could have essentially a hundred, a hundred thousand touch points in that little decade of just by virtue of you being one designer, one fashion designer, because you're touching all the different parts of my ecosystem. And because the ecosystem is so intertwined, it's already, like I said, it thinks about all the things that you're going to need to facilitate that. And as you're using all the touch points, there are other people in all of those verticals at different times. And so it's so from the perspective of how that grows, again, going back to the whole community that I mentioned and how we're doing that with the Web3 platforms that we're creating, you know, it, not only are you doing all of that, but you're doing that within the community of Club Debut. And then you're also creating your own community that you're harnessing as well to create value from. And so eventually, you know, that will uh, spread. So right now we're located in Miami. It's our flagship location. We have one location, our main location in uh, Hollywood, uh, Florida. And then we have a sister location in Midtown right near the design district. We plan to, we're fundraising right now. We're actually launching our first ever, like our seed round. Um, and that's gonna that's already live we started that yesterday <laughs> uh and the idea is that with that raise we're going to be able to expand to five destinations across the u.s uh specific cities and then after that we in 18 months and then after that we go out to the rest of the world and so we're also physically going to be in more geographies and so in addition to the virtual opportunity to just connect as we're connecting and working collaborating you know, through our digital platforms, we also have more opportunities to connect with the physical possibilities. And so that's how we're going to do it. Wow. Before you go, Casey, we'd love to get some of your advice for all of the creative entrepreneurs out there who are just starting out. How can creatives of all types grow a brand without having the big money resources? Yeah, I think it, uh, you know, one of the major things I always tell people, I even had a, a, a prospect here uh, who just joined our membership yesterday. And it was this, this, I can give you literally the conversation because she's coming in. Uh, she'd been a realtor before, but she has an amazing voice. Uh, she wants to do a podcast. She also wants to essentially express herself as a fashion designer. She's always dreamed of doing that. And she even had our sketches and everything. Uh, she's a very good musical talent. She has like a really great voice. Um, and she's like, I don't know where to start and I don't have a lot of money to do anything. So like I told her, I would tell everybody else who's in that same position. The first thing is really understanding kind of what the verticals are that you want to operate in. And so structure, when you don't have a lot of money, structure becomes your best friend because with structure, you're able to get so much out of the little bit that you do have. And then you're able to really nail down like where are the what are the things that you actually need help with, not just in general, because you can have help with one specific thing, but because you did that, it allows you to essentially on-ramp to other opportunities, right? And so what are those key specific things that are gonna allow you to use those things as the on-ramp into other opportunities? And so I would 
suggest that, you know, really figure out, you can do want to do a lot of things, but figure out the verticals, like the, the, the lanes that each thing fall into, and then kind of what is the most critical thing that you need in order to get that going, the cr most critical help that you need in order to get that going, and then try to seek and find that. And if you have questions, I would say I'm happy. I give a lot of free consultations, so you feel free to come to Club Debut. You know, we're really dedicated to our mission, and it's not just a matter of, yeah, it's always about money at the end because that's what we're trying to do. But more than anything else, we want to get people on the path to be able to start making money. So it's really important for us to give information and maybe even more than that where we can if we see synergies and opportunities. Um, but not everything is necessarily about the money of it. If I was waiting for the money that I require to create what I've created, I would never have started, you know. Just to give you a little bit of a background, I started this business with $300,000 of my own money, right? It's not like I did like this massive fundraising and this is the first time we're ever going to market. And we're already like pretty successful from the perspective of just our growth and, and opportunity landscape. But it's, if I were just waiting like, oh my God, in order to get the buildings that I need and whatever, like my budget has to be this and how am I gonna do it? No, I just decided to start where I could and because I'm a very strategic minded person, so I, I was really always focused on the bigger picture, but laying the groundwork for the strategy. So everything I did as I'm informing other people, you know, it's always focusing on the things that can lead to something else quicker, even though I may have the passion and desire to work on, you know, one path, but maybe it's not the most kind of the, the most uh, impactful for where I am in order to get my thing going. And so I just, you know, at the end of the day, it really comes down to structure and understanding kind of what are the things that are most, most necessary in order for you to get to that next step and take look seeking that uh, information and consultation where you can. Thank you so much, Kessie, for sharing your small business success story. Everyone out there, please take a look at the company website, clubdebut.com. You can also follow them on Instagram and Facebook at Club Debut Official or on Twitter at Club Debut. Check out the podcast channel on blackenterprise.com to find Sisters Inc. and other podcasts from Black Enterprise editors, writers, and experts. Be sure to subscribe to Sisters Inc. on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. And if you like what you hear, show us some love by leaving a five-star review or put a sister on by spreading the word. This is Elisa Gums with Sisters Inc. for Black Enterprise. Thank you for listening.